you all missed it, last night at the 6 o'clock service on Saturday night, Pastor Blaine was up here doing his thing, and his phone goes off. And I had no idea what was happening. All I know is that earlier in the week, I talked to our team about addressing all the cell phones that were going off. So I'm like just boiling. Like, are you kidding me right now? (laughs) Pastor Ross was sitting there and he's like, you should see your face. (laughs) (laughs) Pastor Blaine fooled me last night. So uh, great job. You put him on the drama team or something like that. God uses unlikely people at unlikely moments to accomplish unlikely things. That's what we have been talking about this month, and we're going to continue to do that today. Speaking of God doing unlikely things. And we understand that when we talk about that, we're talking about God accomplishing in us unlikely results, achieving unimaginable outcomes, and experiencing unexpected victories. I don't know if there is a better example in the Bible than the story of David and Goliath, David achieving the unimaginable. So much so that people use the David versus Goliath phrase even when they don't believe in the Bible. That's how significant that story is. Over the last couple of weeks, I've used modern examples and illustrations that paint that picture, and I'm going to do the same today. And one of the most significant examples of David and Goliath, I believe, in modern history is the story of Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks helped initiate the civil rights movement in the United States when she refused to give up her seat to a white man on a Montgomery, Alabama bus in 1955. While she was not the first African American to refuse to give up her bus seat, it was her actions that inspired the leaders of the black community there to organize the Montgomery bus boycott. Led by a young Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the boycott lasted more than a year, and it ended only when the United States Supreme Court ruled that bus segregation was unconstitutional. Over the next half century, Parks became a nationally recognized symbol of dignity and strength in the fight to end racial segregation. Some may not be aware that when Rosa Parks refused to give up her bus seat, In 1955, it was not the first time she had classed with that bus driver, James Blake. Twelve years before she refused to give up her bus seat, she boarded a bus driven by the same driver, Blake. Blake often made derogatory remarks to African Americans, especially women. He also made blacks get off his bus after paying and then reboard in the rear of the bus. Sometimes he would even drive away before they got back on. When Parks boarded Blake's bus in 1943, he tried to make Parks reboard after paying. She refused, and then he tried to push her off the bus. Rosa Parks began her civil rights activism shortly after graduating from high school, long before that famous day in Montgomery in 1955. And it continued until shortly before her death in 2005 at the age of 92. She served for years as secretary to the president of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored Peoples Montgomery Chapter. And she continued to work on issues such as voter registration, desegregation of schools and public spaces, and justice for black victims of white brutality. In 1999, she was awarded the Congressional Gold Medal 
the highest honor the United States bestows upon a civilian. Other recipients of that award have included George Washington, Thomas Edison, Betty Ford, and Mother Teresa. When she died on October 24, 2005, Rosa Parks became the first woman in the nation's history to lie in honor at the United States Capitol. To conclude, she wrote in her autobiography this phrase. People always say I gave up my seat because I was tired, but that isn't true. I was not tired physically. No, the only tired I was, was tired of giving in. Rosa Parks, a meek, a humble, yet incredibly courageous 42-year-old woman, was the David willing to face off against the overwhelmingly and unmatched Goliath. What a wonderful example of David defeating Goliath. Now, this, go ahead. Now, the biblical account of David versus Goliath, you may be aware, is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And prior to that famous battle, to set the stage, if you will, God had sent his prophet Samuel to anoint the next king of Israel. See, the current king, his name was Saul. And the Bible says that God's spirit had left him. So he speaks to Samuel and says, I am going to reveal to you who the next king of Israel is. He said, I want you to go to a town of Bethlehem. And find a man named Jesse. And Jesse has some sons. And then one of Jesse's sons will be the next king of Israel. And so, one by one, David appears. And he goes, or not David, rather Samuel, goes to Jesse. And one by one, Jesse brings out his boys. And he brings out seven boys. And Samuel looks at him, starting with the oldest. And Samuel's like, God, that has to be him, right? God says, no. Well, what about this one? No. What about this one? And all through seven, God says, none of these are the boys. And Samuel, a bit frustrated, says to Jesse, are these all of your sons? And Jesse's, well, there's this one, but he's out in the field watching the sheep and goats. And Samuel says, bring him here. So finally, David comes before Samuel. And God speaks to Samuel, this is the one. So David, standing there in front of his older brothers, standing there in front of his dad and Samuel, is anointed as the next king of Israel. And the Bible says in that moment, the spirit of the Lord came upon him powerfully from that day on. Now you would think in that moment, Samuel has anointed David as king and the spirit of God is upon him. So boom, Israel's army gets right behind David. Saul hands him a sword, brings out a white horse, and boom, we're ready to go into battle, right? No. What does David become? An errand boy. And he goes back watching sheep and goats. So that leads us to the 17th chapter of 1 Samuel. What we, had, what we find is the Philistine army, the enemy of the Israelites, on top of a hill on one side. And the Israelite army on, on top of a hill on the other, facing each other with a valley in between. And then lo and behold, a champion, the Bible says, from the Philistine army named Goliath comes down and he faces the Israelite army. The Bible says this champion named Goliath was over nine feet tall. 
He had armor that weighed 125 pounds. He carried a spear with an iron tip on it that weighed 15 pounds. And there was an armor bearer walking ahead of him who carried a shield. And this guy stands out in front of the Israelite army. And he says, I tell you what, rather than hundreds or thousands of us dying today, why don't you send out your best to face me? Mano y mano, one-on-one. And if you defeat me, if you kill me, we will become your slaves. But when you send out your best, if I kill him, you will become our slaves. And the Bible says Goliath did this for over a month. 40 days, every day Goliath came out and he yelled and he chastised the Israelite army, challenged them to a one-on-one battle. Now back at home in Bethlehem with Jesse, Jesse calls this scrawny youngest kid, remember, who has already been anointed king by Samuel, been anointed by God. And he says, hey, your older brothers, three of them are serving in the army of Israel. Would you take them, to some, take them some food and find out how things are going and then come back and report to me? So like a good boy, David goes, he takes food and he meets his brothers. And while he's there, sure enough, Goliath comes out and he challenges Israel's army. And David asking questions, going, what's happening? And so they tell him. And then they say, look, King Saul has said that whoever kills Goliath, he will give his daughter in marriage to that man, and that man won't have to pay taxes. And one of my favorite verses in this story, David says, say that again. (laughs) And so they say, you get to marry King Saul's daughter, and you don't have to pay taxes. Now, I don't know which one David was more happy about. We don't know much about King Saul's daughter. But either way, he got to marry the king's daughter and he didn't have to pay taxes. So about this time, David's brothers are like, seriously, what are you doing here, David? Remember, they witnessed him being anointed by Samuel. But the next thing we know, we find this scrawny kid, David, standing in front of King Saul. And David is telling Saul, send me out there. Don't worry about this Philistine. I'll fight him. And Saul, looking at This young man named David says, don't be ridiculous, you're just a boy. But finally, after some convincing, David gets the go-ahead from Saul to go out and fight Goliath. And then you may be familiar, Saul having probably the best weaponry of the day in the Israel army, tries to give David his equipment, tries to give him his shield, tries to give him all of that stuff. And David said, I don't need any of this, I can't use these. Now we come to the battle. If you have your Bibles, you can open your, them on your phone. <laughs> Turn to verse 40 in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Let me read God's word to you today. So David picked up five smooth stones from a stream, and he put them into a shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. Then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. 
And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with a sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling, and he hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and to cut off his head. David versus Goliath. Here is the major implication, I believe, for us today from this all-too-familiar story. In God's kingdom, the recipe for unlikely victories begins with the unlikely ingredients of weakness and persevering faith. In the kingdom of God, the recipe for unlikely victories are the unlikely ingredients of weakness and persevering faith. I want to talk about those two ingredients for a few moments. The first ingredient is weakness. At the moment of Israel being challenged by Goliath, David was the definition of weakness. No one would have picked David and no one did pick David to battle Goliath. David was the definition of weakness. He was small. He was scrawny. He was the youngest. He was a shepherd boy. He was an errand boy, unfamiliar with weaponry of the day. And for us, we need to know that in searching for those God wants to achieve the unimaginable through, the qualities and the attributes he looks for are very different than that of the world. The Bible's full of examples. Moses, Ruth. David, Rahab, Jesus' disciples, no one would have picked them as likely heroes. They were filled with weakness. They were the unlikely. The primary theologian and missionary of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, Saul, no one would have picked him. Jesus himself came as a baby, as a child. Weak, lowly, humble, unlikely. These are the essential ingredients of those who wish to be used mightily by God. Paul wrote, remember, dear brothers and sisters, speaking to the church, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes. Few of you, church, were powerful. Few of you were wealthy when God called you. But instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chooses things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. It's a beautiful picture of Rosa Parks. No one would have picked her. But God knew and he used what seemed to be weak to overcome the powerful. The Apostle Paul, who had every right to brag, who had every right to boast in his encounter with Jesus, had every right to boast in his travels and him starting churches and the gifts and the anointing that God had put upon him, he recognized that it wasn't in those things he was to boast saying to the church, my grace is all you need. Jesus speaking of this of Paul. Jesus saying to Paul, my power works best in weakness. So then Paul writes, now I am glad not to boast about my strengths, not to boast about the mountaintop experiences, not to boast about my anointing. Paul says, no, I will boast about my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of Christ can work 
through me. That's why Paul says he takes pleasure in his weakness and the insults and the hardships and the persecution and the troubles and the suffering for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It is in our weakness. How was it that when this scrawny little guy looked at the giant warrior Goliath, he saw what no one else did? How did David see weakness in Goliath when everyone else saw strength? I believe it was because there was a time when God saw strength in him when everyone else saw weakness. David began to have eyes of God. David began to see from God's perspective. Remember, God's selection of David tells us in that story in 1 Samuel 16, the Lord said to Samuel when he's looking at Jesse's sons, don't judge by the appearance or height for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. God says people judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. David had learned and was learning to see from God's point of view. This is true not only of how others viewed him, but also of how he looked at what seemed to be impossible to everyone else. David had a faith-fueled vision of himself and of the situation. In God's kingdom, the recipe for unlikely victories are the unlikely ingredients of weakness and persevering faith. In persevering faith, the second ingredient to unlikely victories. In convincing Saul that he was able to defeat the mighty Goliath, David says this to him, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after him with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, David said, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this, David said. I've already done this to lions and bears, and I'll do it again to this Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. David says, the Lord who rescued me then, the Lord who rescued me, rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. David was prepared for a public fight against Goliath because he had prepared in private. He was ready to publicly battle Goliath because he had privately won and battled against the lion and the bear. As we discussed last week, he had traveled through the wilderness. He had journeyed to Midian. He had seen God been faithful against the lion and the bear. So he persevered and he trusted that God would give him the victory against Goliath. David was just going to kill another animal in his eyes. Imagine the first time the lion came to David. Imagine the first time the bear came. I love the quote that Jordan Peterson has. He says, experience is the best teacher. And the worst experiences teach the best lessons. David had some rough experiences by himself. Protecting the sheep and the goats. But it was those worst experiences that prepared him for the best experience in defeating Goliath. And the same is true in our lives. It's the second ingredient. It's when you combine the power of God working through our weaknesses 
with our persevering faith and understanding and building that season of Midian, the journey to Midian, when we begin to trust and grow in God, you combine the power of God working through our weakness with a persevering faith, we will see the unimaginable happen. The Apostle James writes, Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble of any kind comes your way, consider it an opportunity for what? Joy. Great joy, he says. For you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, he says. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. David didn't need anything because his endurance grew in the fields, fighting the lions and the bears. In God's kingdom, the recipe for unlikely victories are the unlikely ingredients of weakness and persevering faith. So today, if you feel weak, if you feel like you're the youngest, if you feel like an errand boy or an errand girl and everybody has passed you over, if you are walking and persevering through a season, a journey through the wilderness, if you're going through both of those things, you should leave here greatly encouraged because you are in the perfect background. You are in the perfect mix for God to do something amazing. God did it in Ruth, he did it in Moses, he did it in David. Unlikely people at unlikely moments doing unlikely things. But we can't leave today without acknowledging this. Too often we read the story of David and Goliath and we talk about the unlikely, slaying the giant. And what we do is we put the problem that is in our life, the greatest discomfort that we have, the greatest thing we want to see happen, and that's Goliath, and God's going to power us to slay the giant so that our life is easier. And that's not what God intends. That's not the moral of the story. The reason that God brings unimaginable victories in our lives is not to make our life easier. It wasn't about David marrying Saul's daughter and not having to pay taxes. David says this very much when he's facing off to Goliath. Why does God give us unimaginable, victory, unimaginable victories? Why does God use unlikely people in unlikely moments to achieve unlikely, unlikely things? You know why? So he receives the glory. David... David challenges Goliath and says, you have defied God's army. But after I kill you, after I slay you, and after I feed your flesh to the birds, there will not be one person in the world that doesn't know that the God of Israel delivered, me into your, delivered you into my hands. It was about God receiving the victory. And think about this. Years and years, thousands of years later, unbelievers used David and Goliath's story. God is still receiving glory and honor over the victory of David and Goliath. But it is not about us. It's not about us slaying giants in our life. It is about Jesus receiving all glory and honor. In fact, the second thing, it's not about our victory. It's about God's kingdom being expanded. It's about what it adds to God's kingdom, his will, not about ours. Let's pray together. Father, this is a really familiar story, and there have been thousands of sermons preached on it. 
far better than the one I did today. But I pray that as familiar as this story is, we would not see it as just a Sunday school story. That we would remember there is a real or was a real young man named David. There was a real giant named Goliath. And there was a real battle in which you won. And may it be a reminder to us that you do choose the weak and the lowly. You choose the unlikely. And you put us in unlikely moments where our faith is tested and our faith has to endure. And we can demonstrate a persevering faith so that the result will be a victory that gives you glory and you honor. So I ask that you would speak to those who feel weak today. You would speak to those who need to persevere, that their faith needs to persevere through the storm. Remind them that you use those two things to do unimaginable so that you would receive glory and so that your kingdom would grow. In the name of Jesus, amen. Pastor Blaine, would you come?